Hi, my name is Jen Shepard, and I'm the woman who played a live-action version of Aliens in the University of Iowa Theater Building every Friday night at 1 a.m. Everyone has a story to tell. We have a bottle of wine and an ear to listen. Join a couple of dolts as we dote out some anecdotes. And welcome to Anecdotal Dote. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Anecdotal Dote, the podcast that celebrates the stories and storytellers in all of us. I'm John Seidenberg, the guy who learned how to turn a buff metrosexual dude into a screaming child with just one move. Joining me on this podcast is my buff metrosexual co-host, Laura Arnold. Okay, I'm going to level with you. Um, While I tried to be very informed, I don't know what that means. (laughs) Well, buff is when you are I know muscly. Buff means. Oh, a dude is a usually a, like a guy. <laughs> oh, metrosexual. Oh, I'm gonna look it up on the machine. A young urban heterosexual male with liberal political views and interest in fashion and a refined sense of taste. This is not exactly accurate to this guy. He spent more time getting himself ready than anybody else I ever knew, including including my sister, who took forever to get ready. He was dating my sister, and um, my brother and I always were the troublemakers, and so they're in the living room canoodling on the couch, and my brother and I had found um, that there was a, a snake that had been run over in the, the street in front of us. And then we had the idea of uh, throwing it on my sister. We thought that would be really funny. That's mean as hell. Yeah. And so um, so we get the idea. And so we, we grab the snake and we toss it long ways at my sister and her uh, Gaston boy. And um, they immediately, both of them, start screaming the same high pitch um, note. And then the boy starts throwing the snake onto my sister and like jumps up throwing the snake onto my sister and then runs out the door screaming (laughs) i'm shocked frodo baggins bilbo baggins edgar baggins what did they all have in common edgar baggins yeah frodo's deadbeat nephew not a person correct he was a hobbit not a human what point are you making with all of this the journey to your point is taking forever exactly today we're talking about journeys nice segue thank you (laughs) (laughs) so yeah we all we all have to take journeys in life whether that's you know a destination from point a to point b um And then sometimes it's an emotional journey. We all have to take journeys of some sort and kind. Some of the journeys you end up on are like not fun times Mm -hmm. and really hard and really awful. And it's really hard, especially in the moment, to like look at that journey and be like, oh, no, but this is benefiting me. Our guest today is the proud co-owner of Improvocadia, an award-winning improv theater in Bar Harbor, Maine, preparing to enter its 17th season. She studied theater at the University of Iowa Improv in Chicago and moved to Maine in 2004. She worked at IO, the playground, and the playground, world's only improv co-op in Chicago, and for the Second City 
on Norwegian Pearl, Gem Jewel, and Pride of America in Hawaii. A Oh my gosh, I really should have read this beforehand. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> humongous welcome to our guest, Jen Shepard. <laughs> you and I have talked about this before. It's great game. Oh. Okay. okay. <laughs> no, you you can you can. I I censor it out, so you're fine. <laughs> oh, okay. so don't say like. <laughs> don't do that. It's gonna be a bunch of boing 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 all in a row. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, we would play it every. We would go and cloak. We would do a theater thing, and then that got over at like eleven, and then we would go drink, and then we would come back and play a live action version of Aliens with like. 20 people that ranged all throughout the theater building. Explain the game. Oh, Cause I know you okay. and I've talked about it before. Yep. It's based on the movie aliens. Three of the actors would be picked to play the alien to be the creature and everyone else was crew and the crew would be sequestered on a spaceship, which was just one of the dressing rooms. Um, and, <laughs> and the aliens would run around with a super soaker that we broke into parts and we would hide it all over the building. And then the aliens could kill you with a touch, but the crew members all had squirt guns that could freeze the aliens for five seconds at a time, but you only had three shots per gun. And we would play for 90 minutes. And at the end of 90 minutes, if they hadn't found the super soaker, the aliens won. And if they had found the super soaker, then they could kill us. One shot killed us. And uh, the only other rule was we couldn't run on the stairs. So there are a lot of stairs in this building. And it would be hilarious because you'd be like, pelting down a hallway like i'd be kicking doors open to go after people like kicking doors open running and then we get to stairs and people would be like stairs and we'd like walk calmly up the stairs and be like how's it going you having a good time yeah hit the top of the stairs and be like, ah! <laughs> like, just, like going for it and uh yeah we did that in fact when we got together for a reunion we played again um and i was voted one of the scariest aliens which should surprise no one <laughs> Committed. It's a great workout. I mean, we would play until like four in the morning and we never got caught. We all had keys to the building because I did because I was the artistic director of a student run theater, which of course I immediately abused my power. So I hope he doesn't listen. I hope the guy in the chair doesn't listen to this. Um, but he would, he called me about his office one day and said, we keep finding a lot of broken doorknobs on Monday morning. And I'm just letting you know that that I was like mm -hmm. and he's like do you know why and I was like no so weird and he's like and it's the same ones and it was all the doors we were kicking open I think I told you we also played the godfather and that no, ranged all over oh my that. god we had to have like an intervention and like a counseling session it got dramatic it got dramatic yeah it was good were you the godfather no, I was the consigliere to a godfather that I risked. I literally ran out in traffic and stopped a car with my body to save my godfather. A person who was not involved in the game. Yep. It went too far. That was when I learned. I was like, oh, I can commit. Like, I, and I have to be careful of cults, probably. That was another thing I thought about. Yeah. So you grew up... Uh, you grew up in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. I'm from Nebraska, and I uh, I grew up in Omaha, and then in Iowa, in Iowa City, and then moved to. Chicago. And what was and what was that like growing up in in the Midwest? Uh, it was really conservative. So my mother was a divor divorced single mother who was an artist. So for us, it was kind of like 
crappy, I guess, sometimes. Um, because uh, we grew up in a part of my childhood, we were in a very Irish Catholic neighborhood, and everyone assumed because I had a single mother that I was a drug dealer, which I think is a very strange leap to make, and yet it did not yeah. surprise me when I heard it. I was like, huh, these people makes sense. <laughs> and, um, so so it, it was a good place to grow up, and then it was relatively safe, you know, but it was a um, kind of a bad place to grow up, and then it was just so conservative. But I did get involved with the avant-garde uh, performance art theater group when I was um, 15, and so that was very helpful. And I did that, and I toured with them from when I was 15 to when I was 18. I worked with Lambert Wilson. I got to meet him, and he directed me. He called me a little bitch the whole time we worked together. <laughs> that's, that's, he would literally refer to me as a little bitch. He'd be like, little bitch, come here. Where's the little bitch? <laughs> I'd be like, me, sir? Um, <laughs> Oh, that was interesting. I'm worried you're going to have more boyoyoings in this podcast per second ever. I don't me. know if that's true, Jen. <laughs> My first exposure to improv actually happened at University of Nebraska in Omaha. There was this group of dudes, because of course it was dudes, because it was the 80s, uh, and they were all white as well, of course, and Nebraska, so uh, they had an improv group, and so uh, I ended up taking one of their classes, and they were like, oh, you're pretty funny, and I liked it, and then this guy approached me, younger guy, and we did some like improv around the town, but it was different than I had ever, I don't know, I, it was, uh, I didn't consider it at that time real theater to me it felt different I don't know and then but that drove me to get into it when I was in Chicago I arrogantly was like I know how to do improv and I even went to a second city audition an embarrassing story got in the room they started the audition and I was immediately like oh no I've made a terrible mistake and then I started, was that person in the audition that nobody wanted to perform with because oh, everything no. I touch, I destroyed. I mean, I, I just owe such a cosmic debt on that front to those people. Oddly, I, would, I had been auditioning for lots of plays, getting nothing. Within four months of being in improv classes, I was getting cast and getting paying gigs. And so it just felt like, I don't know, it could be path of least resistance, but it also felt like right path beyond it seems like you're in chicago around the same time that like a lot of um like a lot of like the other imp a lot of the other improvisers that we all know now mm -hmm. were doing the same thing yeah tina was around at that time a lot i knew jack mcbrayer uh larence knew tina i knew jack mcbrayer i knew brian stack who writes for conan now and he did a lot mm -hmm. of this with him um i knew rachel dratch um uh I don't know. Yeah, a lot of those people. I didn't know, like, the Carell, Colbert, that whole group, like, left just before I came, kind of, or just before mm -hmm. I became aware, because um, they would come back, and by the time they came back, Stranger for Candy was happening. Um, but when I started improvising, it had made just one little balloon had happened, so it had gone from a few hundred, maybe a couple hundred, to suddenly we were, you know, heading towards a thousand. And then now, it, now obviously it's tens of thousands of people in so many fields. And so you open, you open Improvocadia, 
and you just finished your 16th season. We did, yeah. In in October. Um and so what was like like what was that journey of like you're owning, you know, not only are you business owners for, you know, like you have, you know, the space that you have to take care of and you've got to order and you've got to hire staff and all of that, but then also like you're running something that's touristy at the same time and you're trying to sell something that like not everybody knows about and some people because they've had bad experiences of improv there's that connotation that you've got to over like get past as well so what was what was that like uh terrible at times like really awful people were very rude to us several times we were told by the town of bar harbor that what we wanted to do wasn't allowed theater wasn't allowed under the code the town zoning code uh, we showed up anyway Sounds like a footloose movie like, that's what i said theater. <laughs> Exactly what I said. <laughs> Luckily, we found a lawyer who's still there, David Einhorn, and he he had done a bunch of pro bono work for the Unusual Cabaret. And when Larence called him and told him what the town said, he said, uh, "He said, no theater. That's not gonna yeah. happen in my town." And he got on his ten, <laughs> he got on his ten speed. You'll still see him riding around on his ten speed, uh, and he rode over to town hall and like ripped them a new one. And then we had an appointment with the city planner and the code officer to figure out how to get us in there. Um, we had a woman when we were flyering who told us that she really respected us for doing this, and we were like, "Oh, thanks." And she goes, "Yeah, I really respect you for doing something that's so obviously going to fail." Yeah. Oh my wow. god. Yeah. <laughs> had a real estate agent who would not show us any properties because she said it would be irresponsible of her to show us properties for something that's so clearly not going to work. Um, and then the customers were nicer, but what you said about like people getting people in the door was really difficult. So the first night we had, we did two shows on our opening night, which we never do anymore. We always do once and we had 25 people on the first show and 25 people on the second show so we thought that was pretty good the next night we had uh i think four people in the first show and nobody in the second show and i thought we had made the biggest mistake of our lives i mean i was like like i couldn't breathe i was so like heartbroken and scared. I worked with you all this summer. Uh-huh. I was a, a server um, at the theater for, for most of the, the season. Uh-huh. And um, being able to, like the number of times that, you know, somebody would walk in off the street, not know anything about you um, and just be like, oh, you know, what is this? And then improv, oh, I don't know. And then, you know, Larence or I, you know, depending on whoever was talking to them would be like, just try it. We, we <laughs> promise you're going to have a fun time. And the number of times that those people would walk away blown away by what they had experienced during that show. So when I was in college, my mother, my brother moved down. So I went to college at University of Iowa and my brother did not go to college. Instead, he and his wife moved and started working and they went to Chattanooga, Tennessee. So my mother wanted to go visit my brother but we didn't like we could our car was not going to make it so my mother decided we should ask her mother if we could go together in the car my grandmother nash's car and my grandmother nash was she's uh, gone now she died a few years ago she was not an easy person to get along with she wasn't uh she wasn't like awful she just was not easy to get along with 
and this will become obvious. So the journey takes days because she wants to drive and she has all these places that she wants to go. And so the first place that she made my mother and I go is to Joplin, Missouri, where the Precious Moments Chapel is. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> so, you know, you have my mother who's a bohemian artist type and me who's like all dressed in black and like yeah and my grandmother and we are at the precious moments chapel where it's all precious moments including people dressed up as life-size precious moments and room after room of every precious moment you could think oh my god and my grandmother she like she never wanted to leave it was she could have stayed there forever and i remember she became so furious with the two of us because we both left and we went outside i couldn't take it it was super religious as well and i was immediately like i am deeply uncomfortable in this space and so like i left and that set the tone for the trip my grandmother was livid with the two of us so i never knew so they would sit in the front seat and i would sit in the back seat and my mother and her mother would start to fight. And I've never thought of myself as a narcoleptic, but I would literally, like, I'd be sitting there listening, and I'd just be like, and, <laughs> and my mother, she, so we pull over at a gas station, and my grandmother's like, let's get some treats. So we get some treats. And my grandmother looks like the nicest little old lady. Oh, I wish I had a picture. She's so cute. Raging. Sometimes. So, she goes in and she's getting food and I'm walking and I'm like, I'm dazed. I've been so asleep. And my mother corners me and she basically gets right in my face and she goes, stop pretending like you're asleep back there because I cannot deal with my mother. I need you to wake up and I need you to help me out because I am about at the end of my rope. And I'm like, I'm not pretending. I'm really asleep. And she's like, okay. All right. That my mother and I, Still talk about how we survived and she still does not believe me that I was not pretending to be asleep the whole time. <laughs> now for our main segment, the anecdotal dote. Here's how it works. I have selected a random word that only I've seen. Your job is to tell a true story based on that word and our theme of journeys. Are you ready for your word? Is this for me? Oh gosh, oh, I feel like I've talked. Yes. So okay, sure. Gosh, I feel like I've talked a lot. <laughs> that's okay john will edit out whatever oh. he edits out <laughs> oh thanks laura that makes me feel better <laughs> he'll probably edit more of he and i talking than you to be clear <laughs> uh your word is road i can tell you a real wild story that happened to me like the wild the scariest i've ever been okay with right. another person so it's when i was working at that avant-garde performance art theater i would also i uh would actually work, I worked for them as an actor, but I would also like work, like I would help clean the theater and I would make props and stuff like that. So I was working with this other woman and Tammy shows up and she's like, hey, I've got the magic, it was called the magic theater. She's like, I've got the magic theater van. Do you want a ride home? And I'm like, oh my God, I love a ride home. So I, get, I go out of the back door of the theater, lock it up. I get in the van and there's two guys sitting in the van that I've never seen before. And I'm like, I kind of stop and I look at her and she's like, it's okay. They're friends of mine. I'm giving them a ride. And I'm like, okay. So 
She pulls onto the street, and I immediately realize that I am in the middle of a drug deal. And a fairly large one, it seems like. She gets out of the van with this guy, and they go into this apartment building. So I'm sitting in the van with this dude who's covering his face, and I'm so naive that I'm not even, I think I was even like, are you cold? Like, what are you, well, are you okay? So we could try on the heater, I think, you know? So stupid. And this guy is just like staring at me. All of a sudden, we hear Tammy screaming, like yelling, screaming. And the guy who's sitting in the van just bursts forward, knocks open the van door, and goes running off into the night. And Tammy, they had stolen her money and given her no drugs. And he had kind of not beaten her up, but like like pushed her. And she's yelling at me. She's like, get that guy. And I'm like, I'm not going to get that guy. <laughs> I don't know these people. And like, we get back in the van and she's like, she's furious. And I'm furious. And she's like driving around looking for these guys. She's like, you have to help me with this guy. And I'm like, no, I don't. I don't know who these people are. If they have guns or, or I don't know. And she's like, oh, fine. Some good friend you are. I guess I'll just take you home. And so she, she took me home. And I was like, I was so mad at her. And I said something to her about how mad I was. And she goes, you're fine. And I was like, well, yeah, but I could have not been fine. Oh, my God. Laura, do you know why the dinosaurs became extinct? A meteor that struck the planet blew up enough debris to block out the sun, killing vegetation, which killed herbivores, which killed carnivores? Oh, Laura, you crack me up. They died out because they didn't have this podcast to keep them going. They died from not listening to a podcast? Something that wouldn't be invented for millions of years. Tragic, isn't it? Why are you like this? <laughs> I just want to make sure that we as humans don't follow in their footsteps, Laura. Get it together. We have to save humanity by having them listen to our podcast. Think of these audio waves entering your ears as a, a perfect shield against the meteor of boredom. Uh-huh. <laughs> The listener didn't see the eye roll that went with that. It's <laughs> a great thing about a podcast. We're going to have just a video of you accompany all remaining episodes. That would be so hilarious. Can watch just your face. <laughs> Let me know when we do that. I'll put some makeup on or something. <laughs> oh, no. No, I can't. I can't give you that out. <laughs> not like a lot of makeup. Just like enough to make me look not like a zombie. Oh, no. If you're. No, no, no. If you're going to put on makeup, you're going to put on clown makeup. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. <laughs> and thanks. really good at this. <laughs> and special thanks to today's guest, Jen Shepard. Make sure to visit Improvacadia for a hilarious evening next time that you're in Bar Harbor. If you have a story inspired by our theme of journeys with the buzzword road, 
We would love to hear from you. Your story might be shared on a future podcast. Send your story to us, written, filmed, or by audio at theanecdotaldote at gmail.com. Remember, everyone has a story to tell, especially you. So send them in. We're excited to listen. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. You should do the nose thing where you put the wax in your nose and then pull it out. Wax your nose hairs? Yeah, totally. (laughs) Oh, no. I would cry. I would just cry the entire time. You do realize when people do that that that's the reason that Hollywood stars look like the reason that they do is because they're hairless. like it was your joke about walking dead i just did the same thing (laughs) (laughs) did you think that joke was funny though i got it but i don't know it wasn't a great joke okay all right well we're done with you now